Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, panel. Joining me today, it's David. Black Alert. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And Samaria. Roll Tide. It's a lot less fun to say that when Greg's not here. <laughs> and uh david you're black alert that's that's definitely a uh a good good one for this episode yeah well it, it, i've done it before but i'm like man i might have to just bring that back every time we get a new dark friend revealed in this show but then i think i'm maybe just gonna say it every time at this point today we're talking episode 207 das daimar this, uh, I'm going to go into what that actually means for you all. Good, I was going to ask. Uh, Dastamar is a uh, old tongue phrase meaning game of houses. It is what uh, the people in Kyrian are are known to do. It's, it's the game of houses, the game of politics, the game of everything. Interestingly enough, it's also where George R.R. R. Martin took the name Game of Thrones from. I'll buy that. Of course. Uh, but yeah, Dostamar, lots of lots of political intrigue going on in this episode, and let's just get right to it. Uh, we start out in the White Tower 20 years ago. They're so sweet. <laughs> and we hear we hear victory bells ringing all around Tarvalon, and we see young Swan and young Moraine just having a great time together. Young love. <laughs> They're so blithe and, and just happy, and it's like, oh, <laughs> you have no idea what's come rolling down the hill towards you. And and this makes me think of that thing that Alana said a few episodes ago. You you didn't know her before. Yeah. She said about 20 years ago, she changed, and she became hard. And I think we're, we're seeing the before here, and, and she really was a different person. Yeah. She oh, smiles yeah. through the whole scene. Yeah. smiles she's soft like there's no arguing like even an undertone of it it's just maybe not sweet but like what stood out to me is that she mentions her dad her family like oh my gosh i can't wait to see him i can't wait for you to meet them my dad's awesome like and we just had her sister like yell at her and snarl at her about how like oh you forgot about us you don't care about us you left us behind never looked back and it's like Ah, ah, ouch. Yeah, it, it was a painful scene to watch in many ways because of that. And I would say that there were there wasn't no arguing. They were arguing, no, you're the fishwife. No, you're going to be the fishwife. No, you're the fishwife. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they go on to see uh, Guitara Sadai, who, whom they're both uh, kind of mentoring under. And give her the news about the end of the IEL war. You know, hey, the war is over. Everything's great. And that's when Guitara has her vision as Rand is being born on Dragon Mount at that very moment. And uh, Guitara gives, yells out the vision and, and then dies. And, and we see that this is where Moraine gets hard. That whole scene with the vision, it very much was played out that Guitara was in the Aiel woman's body, experiencing everything she was experiencing. And I'm like, okay, so this woman is dying in the snow in labor. <laughs> like, like, that's a system shock right there. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. 
kind of explains why Guitaro ends up dying afterwards, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we get our opening credits. Our first scene takes place in Kyrian. We have uh, Swan talking with Moraine again, and she asks why she didn't tell her about the stilling. So is this the Queen's throne room? I'm not certain. They they didn't quite explain what's going on here. I don't know if this is the Queen's throne room or if maybe this is like an auxiliary, auxiliary throne room that they keep for the, in case the Amberlin stops by. It or looked like the seat is basically exactly the same as the one in the White Tower. So either they're dragging that heavy ass chair around with them or every single capital seat has a room for the Amberlin to sit in. I was assuming yeah. the latter, or not assume, I decided to assume the the latter because I could not <laughs> figure out what was going on. So I was like, you know what? Maybe in all like m- major-ish enough spots, that's exactly what happens. They're like, oh, that's that's the Amberlin's like seat. <laughs> that makes that's sense to me. So they dust it off whenever she shows up. That makes sense to me because if you look at the design of... The buildings and the halls, they have a very different style than the White Tower, but there's a number of screens that are set up around her that have that very intricate uh, stonework. So this is her office when she is in town. I just loved the picturing of them carrying that heavy chair around on a on a platform with them everywhere. That's so <laughs> Which would you rather have to carry from place to place? The Amerlin's seat or that that big uh, palanquin that, that <laughs> High Lady Suroth was on. People are probably aren't getting murdered on the Amerlin's seat, so. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's probably a way to make it lighter versus that, you know, that palanquin who's, that looks intentionally heavy, like on, on purpose. Things definitely not hollow. And uh, Swan continues to be disapproving of Moraine for telling Lan that she would pass his bond to Alana by force. She seems a little uh, taken aback by that. Moraine's making a lot of decisions without consulting anybody. Yeah. I also, it also occurred to me just now looking at, at the screen, this is the first time they would be at, have been in Kyrene together. The initial plan was that for them to go to her hometown to meet her family and as a, as a couple. And now here they are 20 years later, instead for the first time in Kyrene together, emotionally devastating in its own way. Swan goes on to say that it's time for her to meet Rand. So then we jump over to uh, Lan and Rand having a chat. Uh, Lan is teaching Rand about manners and, and what it means to be a man. And uh, he he reaches for Rand's sword, and Rand immediately turns away and and has the sword drawn almost immediately. And Lan's like, "Oh, you've been studying the sword forms. Interesting. Good boy." <laughs> I loved that interaction. Rand doesn't. Like, or Lan Aww. doesn't smile often. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Oh." Well, and I think Lan was a little um, taken aback by him carrying around the Heron sword without actually have earned it. So there's at least he's starting to move towards that level. I like how he tells him to tuck in his shirt, too. It's like, you're going to see Mother. <laughs> Straighten your shit out. <laughs> Looked like he was ready to bust out an iron and board and <laughs> some starch. And Lan goes on to say, there's one rule to being a man. Whatever comes, face it on your feet. The other thing I thought was really cool about this scene, Rand is saying, you know, I left to 
protect the people I care about from the madness. And Lan's like, that's a selfish decision. You have to care more about your job than you do about your people because the job is bigger. You're here to protect everyone, not just the people you love. And I think that's maybe the first time that any that that's ever even occurred to Rand that he has to kind of do what Moraine does and what Land does and what everybody yeah. else does and put personal feelings aside. This is more important than them. Well, that's yeah. kind of the forefront of Land's mind at that point because he's failed his job, or at least he thinks he has in his yeah. head. And and this is all a revelation, like the fact that he he released Ishamael instead of dismissing the dark one is like brand new information. So he hasn't had a lot of time to process. Land goes on to teach him a new sword form known as cat crosses the courtyard. And this is you, you pretend that like there's a string coming out of the top of your head. That's holding your entire body up and the rest of your, and you hold your spine as straight as possible. And the rest of your limbs just hang loosely, almost like you're a marionette. I bring this up specifically because one, it's something that Rand does often. And two, it's something that I have done throughout my life. <laughs> Um, I, I actually took this to heart when I first read the books and when I needed to feel more confident in a situation, I would intentionally think of cat crosses the courtyard. And after a while, it, it didn't even require conscious thought. I just fall into cat crosses the courtyard on regular occasions. Anyone who's ever seen me approach a dance floor has seen me do cat crosses the courtyard. That's excellent. I love it. That's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and very nerdy. <laughs> very, very nerdy. And then we see Rand in front of Swan. And he says, as you've summoned me, mother, I have come. I stand ready. At which point she's like, oh, boy, Land's been at you, hasn't he? <laughs> she seems almost nice. Like, she's smiling at him when they, they first start out. Well, maybe because it's he's he's showing her deference and respect the way Land taught him. So she's like, oh, he's he's actually not a bad boy after all, maybe. Maybe. Really quick line, almost missed it, where she says, I have questions for you and you will answer truthfully. And he goes, and then what? Which is like complete callback to when he first got dragged away from Two Rivers by Moraine. And she's saying, we're going to the White Tower. And he's like, and then what? And then we'll do this. And then what? <laughs> like, what's the game plan here? Yeah, give me more than just the next step. Give me, give me the next several steps. Yeah, but the yeah. way he... Ask the question is so it's the same question. It's the same need to know what the plan is. But the way he asks the question is so very different. It shows you how much he's matured. Yeah. Uh, so then we are in the foregate. Uh, Matt is walking through the foregate and he gets Shanghai. And somebody just grabs him, smashes him against the wall, knocks him out. And when he wakes up, he's in Falm with Land Fear. And he's like, there's no way I'm in Falm. And he goes out on the on the balcony and uh, it turns out he's in Falm. You know, I still wasn't certain. It took me a minute to, like, be convinced that he was actually in Falm, which I guess is Lanfear's, like, specialty. Like, just to make you question your reality yeah. at any given point. And, and he even specifically says, "Am I? is this a dream? And she says, oh, no, this is not a dream. I've I've realized something. There's There's a clue that they give away as to whether you're seeing Lanfear in a dream or not is, and that is she said her hair. every time we see Lanfear in a dream, she has short hair. Yeah. I noticed that too. Oh, 
I'm going to keep an eye out for that. I miss that. So then we are down in the streets of Falm, and I just have to say I am very happy to notice that there was a donut vendor in the street. Yes. <laughs> I saw that. Like fried bread. That's absolutely a yes. thing that's cross-cultural. <laughs> Donuts exist in this world, so I'm happy. Now we just have to find a taco vendor, and everything's going to be perfect. Then we see Nynaeve and Elaine skulking around, and uh, Nynaeve, of course, tries to say, well, we're just going to go straight at the the people and try to get Egwene and Elaine's like no 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 we need to be more subtle than that you listen to what I say and and Nynaeve has a look she sure does I I okay so like this episode was absolutely hilarious to me until it wasn't and this is one of those moments where I was just absolutely giggling (laughs) Elaine's like hold up now you got Egwene captured into slavery. We're stuck in this in this town where we can't even walk outside, like just for some fresh air and peace. You know, we already got someone else captured because you can't be quiet. Like, you know what? No, she like she's like, wait, that's right. I am a princess. <laughs> Let, me, <laughs> <laughs> Let me like switch switch it up here. Like we did it your way, and your way sucked. So <laughs> let's. Let's let's do something different. We tried the sledgehammer. Let's try something else. I mean, I guess Nynaeve could say a lot because she always got something to say. But <laughs> what I loved about that was that Nynaeve gave her the death glare, but also went along with it. She's like, <laughs> I hate you. You're right. I hate that you're right. <laughs> it shows us a lot about Elaine's character that uh, all of this time that she's spent traveling around and being the the princess she's actually paid attention and, and learned a lot of things about the world instead of just being caught up in herself and and being served on she's going to be the ruler she's got to know how the game is played right she's got to know how to hold on to power it's it's yeah. not just that though like it's she's learned street smarts which yeah. you know your your typical princess that's being toted around being told about the the game of game of uh, houses essentially doesn't learn that if they're this, caught up in themselves. This is a woman who learned how to brew alcohol for herself because exactly. she was bored. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> she was clearly paying attention. And I have a feeling it's probably not her first time sneaking out. So Oh definitely yeah, not. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, then we jump to a scene with the Soldam and Damani training outside of Falm and uh Rena warns Aggie not to not to fuck up here. Let's let's do this together. We you you're you're a good Damani. Let's let's do this well. I love the opening speech. This is an investment in your future within our empire. I'm like, this is like straight out of corporate boardrooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that speech. <laughs> it is. You know, the interns that graduated to being entry level. (laughs) Congratulations. You have a cubicle here. (laughs) I I couldn't decide if I was going to be more excited if uh, Egwene, like, used all of her power and and showed everybody that she was the shit or if she just, like, did nothing and was completely defiant. Like, this confirmed, um, like, suspicions that I had about how, like, Renna was probably getting like hellfire rained down on her. Like, oh, what are you doing? You know, you have the most powerful Damane ever. 
You know, we haven't seen one like you're supposed to be top of your class and you can't even get your demone to like pour you a glass of water. You suck. And sure enough, you know, like Renna's like, don't embarrass me. Like, oh, I see. I see what's going on. You just gave the hand away. <laughs> and that also uh, confirms your suspicion from a previous episode that this was Renna's first Damani. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. She's she, she just graduated out of the the overseer program, and it is her first rodeo. It also showed us a little bit about how the the collars work. Like that, there is a certain amount of control of the one power that the Soldom has. She says, "I can do this on my own if I need to." We jump back to Kyrian. Where uh, Yasika, or as I like to call her, Velma Sedai, <laughs> uh, she gives Varen an Ogier map of the city. Ivan, Maxime, and Alana are, are observing, and Ivan says, I, I don't trust Varen. I don't know why, but I don't trust Varen. Maxime's like, yeah, it's Leandrin I really don't trust. Well, they don't know each other all that well. No. So, given the stakes, I could understand them having reservations. I also really like the fact that Alana's triad is a democracy. <laughs> she didn't want them wandering off in their own directions. And they're like, well, you're outvoted. <laughs> that surprised me a bit. Like, Yeah, she is not the boss. No, no. And I feel like that's not that's definitely not the case with every like Sedai water relationship. Like clearly, like they're all wildly different. So, you know, it's whatever you and your water see fit for it to be but i wouldn't expect a democracy to be a common setup where you can get outvoted by your warders <laughs> i love well, that you, you gotta figure the warder's job is to pre protect the ice Sedai, and that includes protecting them against themselves protecting them so, against bad decisions yeah so so if an ice Sedai gives them an order that seems like it's a bad idea they're probably going to disregard it and they do tell, they do, both of them tell Lon that, you know, we keep them grounded. They're not gods. We remind them that they're people. And then we find out where Leandrin is. She's visiting Envier. Well, kind of visiting Envier. I love how she just marches in. <laughs> it's like, I'm a nice guy. All right, damn, please. <laughs> and then we jump uh, over to Moraine and Lan, and Moraine is being rude to Lan, who still is just trying to help her. Moraine says, go away. I have nothing to say to you. And he just stops and says, hey, did in this whole time, did you ever think of ending it? This last six months that you've been without the power. I know that only two women in the last 3,000 years have survived distilling. And most people killed themselves within the first year. And she says, no, I haven't because Rand is too important. I have to focus on Rand and and... Rand is, is the center of everything. I cannot worry about my own issues. First time I watched this, I read that as concern. And the second time I watched it, I'm like, no, he's collecting data points. He's got a theory. Yeah. And why not both? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right though. Cause I had the same, same trajectory. Um, I was also like, how she i was paying attention to how she reacted and she's like no 
stomps away and I'm like, oh God, there's such there's such eighth graders. And then I was like, <laughs> so that's a yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like she's not a discombobulated kind of person. Like we don't really see her flustered in this sort of way where like a reaction is immediate and very close to the surface and it was and I was like oh she says no but her tone and her body language and her actions say yes and then we jump over to Swan and Rand and Swan is talking fish at Rand as she does <laughs> yes. I, I love all the colorful fishing metaphors that she spins into everything um, and she tells him that the the plan that the White Tower has had in place for 3,000 years is they are supposed to cage him and use him as a weapon at the last battle. He's not going to be their general. He's going to be their nuke, essentially. So exactly what the Sean Chan have been doing to Egwene. And I immediately thought of the colors at this point. I'm saying, hmm, I'm thinking this is why they were designed. And maybe there was only one originally, but then that fell into the hands of the dark ones or whatever. And they were able to replicate and duplicate and use for different purposes. But given that we've been told that an Aes Sedai created it, I think that this was the original purpose of the collar. That makes perfect sense. I hadn't thought about the collars, but yeah, it's just the parallel between, you know, the scenes where Egwene is being controlled and what she's saying they're going to do to the tower is supposed to do to Rand. It just stuck out. Yeah. And, uh, of course, he gets pissed at that idea because, you know, I'm I'm not your caged weapon. I'm my own person and starts to channel and she shields him without breaking a sweat. She was like, wee, that was fun. Yeah. Pew, pew. Um. <laughs> that pissed her off, I think. She was looking for a bigger fight. Oh, yeah. She was almost surprised, which is what she essentially says next. And I was like. On the second bit, and literally maybe like 10 minutes ago, like it occurred to me that she and Maureen are doing the same thing here, but in, in different, they're coming at it at different directions, though, to get to essentially to the same place where Swan's like, ah, oh, you've learned nothing. And she goes, oh, the tower has has protocol. And I was like, "Ooh, Maureen's doing the same thing. She just did it in a different way and like taking Rand like only one step at a time and keeping him the dark about literally everything else. I also think it's a bit rich to be yelling at Rand for not having trained for six months when he didn't not even his know. Fault. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't know that that Ishamael had been released. He was doing what he could to stay sane. And and how is he supposed to train anyway? He has nobody to teach him until he showed up to where Loghain is. Nobody to teach him. It'll kill him sooner or later. Probably sooner, considering all like how much he'd have to use it and how powerful he is. Um, mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> this poor this poor kid. I just, how dare you not get everything lose, right lose. with no help or guidance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I think this is a real illustration of how Sawan has changed since that 20 years ago. That, that she's kind of built herself into this person who makes assumptions and, and does things because she's become so powerful and she now can. So she makes so many different assumptions in this episode, assumptions about what Moraine is 
intentions are, assumptions about how Moraine acts, assumptions about how Rand should have acted and how Rand would have been, and every single one of them is wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're wrong. They're both wrong and both right about each other. Like, I'm like, oh, valid points from both of them, but my God, you think people who have been together for like 30, 40 years at this point, bare minimum, would talk? <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know how it came came to pass that Sawan was going to end up being the one of the two of them that had to rise to uh, the Amerlin seat. But clearly getting into that position has changed Sawan in a way that is not healthy for her or her relationship with Moraine. We have to think about the different environments that they've been in for the last 20 years. Moraine's been on the road, thinking on her toes making decisions with no one to question them, where Swan's been building a power base and dealing with politics and investing in the strength of the tower. They've had such different life experiences for 20 years that's going to very strongly inform their attitudes towards how to fix this problem. Swan's falling back on what she knows, which is politics and the power of the tower. Moraine's like, no, we have to be fast and light and keep moving. Because that's almost, what's kept them surviving for 20 years. It's almost like Sawan's believing her own lie about her own power and her own ability to control everything, too. I wonder how much she knows about the intrigue against her. I think that's why she's like, oh, well, let's fall back on 3,000 years of Tower Records, because she doesn't know. And so at least if she has a script, she has something to follow. Like, it's a safety net for her more so than her believing her own hype. And meanwhile, Moraine was there when they gentled Loghain. So she's like, I'm not risking that happening to Durand. Our next scene, we are back in Falm. We see a Suldom who forces her Demane to explode with air. And this is how they're showing the, uh, the power relative power of each Demane. And the wave almost reaches the rest of the soul. First time this happened, I said, oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Rena and Egwene go up next. And uh, Egwene. I saw her building up steam and I'm like, you go, you have a chance now to give everybody in this fucking place a bloody nose. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we, we get to see. The the difference in power of why why Egwene is so special, how how much more powerful she is than the average channeler. And then we have to think about the fact that Nynaeve's even more powerful than that. That really yeah. struck me, actually. The difference between the way Egwene was treated at the White Tower as like because Nynaeve was the big deal. Mm -hmm. And Egwene was like, everybody kept saying, oh, she's one of, you know, she's very strong. She's incredibly strong. But everybody's attention was focused on Nynaeve. And now here, she's the strongest. Yeah. Which is just like, it's a very different experience for her. Yeah. And I was thinking, I'm like, oh, God, like this context that Egwene is in, like, I can see how it can be incredibly dangerous. And I was like, this is exactly how, like, manipulations work in slave societies. I mean. Yes. Where they're is there has to be just enough truth to be able to spin the rest. And so, like, I was like, oh, was 
when Rena was like, oh, you know, the Aes Sedai, the people in that tower didn't know what they had. She, I hate to say it, but she was kind of right. Like, yeah. And like, I think it, there's a way for Gwen's mind to be warped and corrupted where she starts believing that, believing in exactly that in the way that the Xuanzang want her to where she can be controlled in that way. Like she's buying in because she's like, yes, I I am valuable here. I am, you know, I'm put to good use. People respect my power. They respect my, they respect what I can do. And I think the difference here is that in the tower, they're more concerned with raw power versus here where they're like, yes, she has the power, but skill is what we care about more. Because I was thinking, I was like, how can... Like, why are these people such a threat to Aes Sedai? And it's, and I, it's, it's actually skill. I think if if you can run the table on brains and strategy, you can get pretty far, like a lot farther than people who might be technically speaking, on a fundamental level, more powerful than you. And it says something about what the Soldam go through uh, training wise, because that's not something she would know about. Egwene's past and history. That's something she picked up on that Egwene was, you know, kind of regnant of her power and, and not actually feeling like she wants to, or feeling left behind or whatever. And she used that. So they, they obviously go through like a psychological training when they become a Soldom so that they can figure out what best, how best to manipulate the Damani. I mean, slavery is psychological. That's pretty straightforward cult indoctrination, too. Like, you are special, and you are special to us, and we understand you like nobody else does. Which might be true, at least a little bit. Like, true enough to, like, want to, like, lean in just a little bit, little bit more, which then becomes you're totally, you're totally in it, you're totally drowned, and it's really, really hard to get out of that. The best lies do contain a grain of truth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, honestly, the best way to lie is to tell the truth, but tell the truth in exactly the right way. I've, I've said that since I was a kid. You mean like I said I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the whole city getting rattled, we see Loyal noticing the whole city getting rattled as he's out on a walk, and uh, he gets cornered by Nynaeve and Elaine, and... He goes down on one knee before Elaine because he's like, oh, the daughter here. I, I, it's very nice to meet you, Elaine Tricand, daughter heir of Andor. I hope nobody can hear me. No inside voice. <laughs> I howled through this entire interaction. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Your name sings in his ears. Now move on. <laughs> And you was so punk rock. I love it. <laughs> and they ask him if he knows where Perrin and Egwene are. And he says, oh, well, Perrin escaped. And uh, I know that Egwene is in the kennels, but only Suldom can even get within 200 paces of that place. That's when Elaine turns to Nynaeve and says, well, we have everything we need. I didn't see them capturing a, a um, Soldom, but uh, the second they pulled out the collar, I'm like, oh, which one of them is going to wear the collar? Which one of them is going to wear the, the shackle and do their little uh, sneak in situation? Well, they can't do that or they shouldn't do that because they don't know how to get it off. 
So better not to subject each other to it <laughs> till you know for sure. Can you see these two bonded for life? Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Comedy hour. <laughs> the world will never know peace. <laughs> An intriguing fic premise. That's bringing up the, the idea from the other episode of uh, what what sitcom would you like to see? <laughs> Thelma and Louise featuring uh, <laughs> Elaine and Nynaeve. Yeah. And then we go back into uh, Ishii and Matt in, in the room in Falm somewhere. And Ishii is, is sitting there brewing some ayahuasca tea and making some peyote scones with a nice mushroom and ergot filling to, to give to Matt. And he talks a whole lot of, of sense, honestly, about pain and how, how everybody's just experiencing pain and how horrible it is and how he can't sleep through the night because he knows that a misplaced word here or a misplaced dagger there causes someone's entire world to collapse. I mean, they always speak sense when they're like, oh, this is why I went dark. Is this ego or like an overabundance of like empathy? Like, which which one is it? It could be both. And yeah, he tells Matt, uh, hey, so anyway, this tea is going to let you see through time. So uh, just wait 15 minutes and then pour one cup. All I could think of is, oh, so they had acid in the uh, old age? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, this isn't shrooms. letting him see through time. There's no magic to this. He is just going to be on one hell of a trip. Bad trip. I think we need to change Ishamael's nickname from father of lies to father of lies that people inexplicably believe. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> because some guy kidnaps me and says, oh yeah, here's some tea that will make you see your past lies. I'm like, who the fuck are you and what the fuck is this? And he did. To be fair, Matt did, which cracked me up. Like just the absolute irreverent way he speaks to Lon Fear and Ishamel. I'm like, you don't know who these people are. You don't know where you are. I mean, you do, but you don't. Yeah. Like, you don't know what they want you for, and you're just talking to them like anything. Absolutely hilarious. Like, how can you not laugh? Um, is this a sex thing or is this a murder thing? <laughs> <laughs> he said it with a straight face. He was really wondering. Either, either way, you look at That was an honest question. <laughs> He's like, I got to be prepared. Which way is this going to go? <laughs> Uh, so then we jump to Toman Head and we see uh, Perrin and Avi walking along and uh, Perrin peers ahead and says, there's a woman in the rocks up there. And Avienda looks at him kind of surprised, like, oh, most wetlanders don't have that good of vision. I had to squint at the screen for a while to catch her. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you see an eel? Most people can't see an eel, Especially desert vision. Like, real hard to see when that sun's blazing in your eyes. That's when we meet uh, Bane and Chiad, who are Avienda's spear sisters. They're they're all in the same warrior society together. And Bane and Chiad take them to their fallen spear sister, where Avienda says her respects, and then she strips down all of her weapons, and so do Bane and Chiad, and Bane and Chiad start beating the holy living shit out of Avienda. Without their mascot i did notice that so i was like okay like i didn't know what the hell was going on i was like parent like uh <laughs> should i help should i run away but i was like okay it's not 
real in the way that a fight to the death for an Aiel is real because their faces are uncovered. And Avian is so, not fighting back. Yeah. Which we know she's perfectly capable of. <laughs> Madeline in chat just says the first rule of Spear Club is. <laughs> so did you have any idea as to what the reason might be for this beating at this point? Sort of. Um, yeah. She's 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 paying something back or or she's going through some kind of a, a ritual or something. It was it was very formal the way that they they did it. Yeah. And when Perrin takes a step forward to intervene, they just say no. Don't. It reminded me, you know, of those traditions where a wife had to go on a funeral pyre or a wife had to like shave her head and like bathe after her husband passes of that sort maybe not so extreme the other thing i got from this interaction was it's the first time you see the um hand language which is like it makes absolutely sense that a warrior society would have a way of talking to each other where you can't be heard and one thing I want to point out is uh, in that that hand talk that they were doing, a lot of it was single-handed. That makes sense. You're holding a weapon with the other one. And then we jump back to Falm, where uh, Matt is trying to decide whether or not he wants to drink Ishii's electric Kool-Aid. And Bad call, man. I don't do that at parties. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you don't know the guy, you don't take the <laughs> shit he gives you. Yeah, exactly. It's druggy 101. <laughs> of course he did. Of course he drank. We, we all know Matt was going to drink it. And I was like, baby, at least make yourself comfortable on the bed first. <laughs> make sure your mouth is to your side and uh, you have yeah, a... Yeah. Assume the recovery position. You have a watcher. <laughs> and he immediately starts to to wonder if, if the time is 25 or 6 to 4. <laughs> <laughs> It just it just confirmed for me that this has nothing to do with magic, like because his visions that was not past life that was all internalized that was all from his all personal trauma. experience. Yeah, and she was just completely lying to him about that part of it. And I was like, Matt, how do you not realize that this is a lie? Like, I mean, I guess Matt's like, well, everything else has been you know crazy, so why not this too? But you just got kidnapped. You're in this city. You don't know how you got there. You don't know who these people are. What you're, you don't know anything. And you're going to believe that this is also true. Like, n- no, honey. And and some of those visions that he sees, he sees himself killing various people, kills somebody by stabbing them, kills somebody by drowning them, sees himself just hanging from a noose. Sees his mom calling him a prick. Sees becomes his mom, becomes himself, holding himself. It it it, it was all very acid trippy, honestly. Any thoughts about any of those visions? Other than they scared the shit out of me. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this world needs therapists so badly <laughs> as a profession. So we need a therapy, Aja. We need a therapy, Aja. I mean, I was like, this is just. I guess a shortcut to stripping Matt to 
his barest bones, like whatever he's managed to build for himself in terms of like self-esteem and like even the seeds of healing snatched, gone, like just bring Matt to his absolute lowest and most vulnerable spot and then spring up. And, you know, Ishamael, like said it before, I've had Matt since he was born. Like, don't even worry about it. But, you know, like, I guess Ishamael knew that Matt's still a fighter. And so, and he's, and he's an optimist despite himself. And so, he like, Ishamael's like, okay, no, gotta, gotta erase, gotta reverse all that shit before... I can like go ahead because, you know, Matt's on the ground saying, what else? You know, like, oh, please help. And Ishamel's like, yay, got him. Mm. It just, uh, it upset me and my homegirls. Well, and also his, his brain state is very much in the, am I truly going to murder my best friend? And so everything he's thinking about is, is Matt a murderer at, at the core? It does make me because we we had this we had this conversation before about Shamael's past. Shamael is is the one who believes that the world needs to end to end suffering, and we we said we don't know what he went through when he, in his original life that turned him into this. Um, so it makes me wonder if some of his life experiences were similar to Matt's, and that he saw Matt and said, "Here's somebody who will agree with me one hundred percent because he's going through the same stuff that I did." And then, and then, you know, they put him. So I know that that the reason that um, Matt's character did not initially go uh, through the ways with the rest of the cast was because the actor left. But I think it really works also for the story because Matt's strength has always been his relationships with other people. He's been cut off from his friends and from any positive interactions for six months. He's been imprisoned in the White Tower, being psychologically tortured by, you know, Leander. And then he is betrayed, or he believes he's betrayed by by men. And then he's like kidnapped and and put on a bad acid trip. And it's like he's a mess. <laughs> so Shamael's sitting there offering him comfort and this is something he hasn't had for six months because he's been separated from his peers, from the people who, who love him. So he's vulnerable. I just realized that we have a whole bunch of examples of every one of our main characters, or a lot of them, making the wrong choice, trying to do the what's best for their friends. So you have Matt not going with Rand initially, and you have... Uh, Nynaeve rushing off to, to save Perrin and you have um, Rand leaving everybody because he thinks he's going to hurt them. And all of these are examples of making the complete wrong choice because they want to help save their friends. And it just causes them to split further apart. It's like, it's like going back to that letter that Perrin wrote where it said, like, when we're together, we, sh we shield ourselves, we shield each other at the same time, and now we're scattered to the winds and vulnerable. And you can just see this playing out, that by themselves, they're a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, all the, the, the stupid choices that they wouldn't be making if they were there with their, their you know, 
two team two rivers helping them through it even matt and rand when they come together and meet each other it's okay but as soon as matt says no i gotta go do something and then they split apart and then all of a sudden matt's making the wrong choices again again. (laughs) (laughs) so then our next scene we are back in kyrian and moraine is telling swan no you you need to release rand you can't keep him shielded like this and swan is saying no we we tried your way now we're doing my way um we're we're going to announce him as dragon tomorrow and when the queen returns and it will be me and 14 Aes Sedai standing behind him. So the world will know. We are going to paint a big ass bullseye on his ass. Like Moraine's plan and Swan's plan. Like these are bad plans. I just <laughs> like Moraine's trying to force the prophecy, but in doing so, she's playing right into the Forsaken's plans. And I don't know how anybody doesn't see this. Like, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm out of the story and so I can see things that they obviously do not. But, like, if you know the Forsaken, even two of them, out of however many, are awake. And they're, well, you don't know where they are. But they're out there and they they have powers you can't even conceive of. Literally, because we're about to find out just one of them. Um, it's just like, why Why are you trying to force it instead of just letting it play out how it, how it may or may not play out with or without you? And Swan, like, she knows that the dragon's supposed to declare and fall. So why are you trying to do it in Chiron? I don't. Un- they're just they're messy. No, it's, it's one of two things there. With that prophecy, either someone doesn't care about or doesn't believe the prophecy, or she wants Rand not to be the dragon. And by by declaring him in Kyrian instead of in Falm, that makes Rand not the dragon. She trying to reverse Uno, the, the prophecy. I wonder if Swan even realizes how. Like, if she even realizes that Black Aja is active in the tower and how much stuff is happening there right under her nose that she's not aware of. Because she's she's saying, you know, that she's she can protect Rand in the tower. And Morena's like, yeah, that's not happening. If we send him back to the tower, he's dead or or stilled. Yeah, if, if we send him to the tower, the Reds are going to still him and or, or gentle him and... Swan says, not not while I'm in charge. And Moraine said, well, what makes you think you'll necessarily still be in charge? I think she's built an overconfidence that is hurting her here. And Moraine has, with her experience, not built that overconfidence and understands where where they both truly lie in the world. I also noticed that Moraine did not tell Swan about Lanfear. Because Swan comes right out and says, what would we do if one of the Forsaken got a hold of him? And you see mm-hmm. Rand kind of look up, and Moraine doesn't tell her that Lanfear's already kind of got Rand. <laughs> yeah, like I I was watching this with one of my friends, and I pointed out that they both failed in their mission. Like, if Swan was supposed to secure the tower, and Moraine was supposed to find the dragon and train him up, then... They kind of, they, at best, both of them got only halfway there. 
Like, and so instead of like being like, okay, we did not do what we were supposed to. Let's give each other the benefit of the doubt and regroup. Like they're at each other's necks, like just going past each other, crossing each other. And they're way too old for this. They're juggling a lot. <laughs> uh, so our next scene, we've got Moraine and Rand both in a cell. Moraine asks, where did you think you were going? And he says, Falm. That, that's, I, I know that the Forsaken are, are leading me there, and I know it's a trap, but that's where my friends are. Even if it's a trap, I have to go spring it and, and try to get my friends out. And he also says they'll break him out to send him there. And probably kill everybody. In, I, I was really impressed by the fact that he's completely laying all the cards on the table for Moraine. He has come to trust her to a certain extent. Well, I, I think that whole scene with him and Moraine, where Moraine trusted him to go into the dream world with Lanfear, it changed Rand's outlook on the whole situation. He's now figured out that this is this is a different setup and we need to be together and I need to take more responsibility in this. And he's getting a little smarter because of that. And I, and I need help. (laughs) And the immediate previous scene of him seeing Moraine stick up for him to the Omerlin seat. Yeah. And, and not snitch about, about land fear. He's like, okay, maybe there is somebody who's actually trying to solve this problem without using me for their own ends. And uh, then we jump over back to uh, um, House Damadred, where Leandrin is still sitting with Envier and Barthanis. Leandrin just ups and says, look, I'm tired of waiting. I need to talk. And that's when Barthanis says, mother, you're dismissed. This is king business. Uh, not our sweet Barthanis. What the crap? <laughs> I did not see that coming. I did not see little Lord Fauntleroy as a dark friend. <laughs> you know, I had the same reaction that I had to the Leandrin reveal, which was just like disappointment. Like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> We're not mad. We're disappointed. <laughs> Leandrin says, I have orders from our master. You need to kill Moraine and and." Kill your mom, too, if she suspects anything. And uh, his mom does suspect something because she's listening at a little uh, spy listening hidey hole. Yeah, it's kind of like when my mom used to say, whatever you think you you can get away with, I already did it and better. (laughs) (laughs) I was very impressed by the spy hidey hole. I'm like, well done. (laughs) That makes perfect sense, though, like for the kind of like environment they're in yeah why wouldn't this house be tricked out with spy holes i almost wonder if uh instead of sawan being the other person the person running the white tower if you had a a blue aja from kyrian if it would have turned out better than how sawan has the political intrigue that had to happen to to prepare the tower for the situation yeah that's actually not a bad theory because i mean if you want someone who knows how to play politics, someone who comes from the capital of of playing politics is probably a better choice than someone from a um, a working class background. Then we we jump over to Falm, and uh, Ishi is is tenderly holding Matt as Matt is going through the the end of his 
bad trip. And he's saying, yes, we, we do it again and again and again and again and again. And the wheel turns and we hurt. And Matt just says, how do we make it stop? I think there's something in that T that also makes him a little more emotionally vulnerable than he otherwise would be. Other than it, like, ripping your brain open. Uh, and then we jump to Teleran Riyadh, where Rand is apparently taking a nap, and he goes to meet Lanfear, and he asks her for help. She says, okay, I'll help you. And she wakes up and starts making a mess of the foregate, which makes the whole foregate go whoosh. Dude, I was confused by this until a little later when we get the the rush to everyone to save the foregate. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you make a big distraction over on the other side of town so that they aren't all in the place where you're trying to do your thing. I gotta wonder about the people who live in the town who know her as Celine, the innkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. All I was thinking was like, girl, this is not necessary. Like, you don't have to do this. Like, you're doing this because you can, because you think it's funny. I mean, it kind of was funny to me, because she didn't have to roll in here and blow up the whole town. <laughs> like, that was... You didn't have to do like, that. Somebody's pissed off the innkeeper. <laughs> And uh, then we jump back inside the walls of Kyrian itself, and Maxime is being very vain, uh, making making sure his hair looks just right, looking in the reflection of his dagger, and pretty much says, "I I don't want to live in interesting times. That living in interesting times is no fun. I I want to live in uninteresting times. I want to just go sit on the farm." Uh, yeah, me too, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Can relate. And uh, we see Lan come through, and Maxime says, Yeah, he's right through there. So uh, Lan goes through and he's visiting Loghain. Loghain is again playing Stones against himself. I don't know if he's winning or losing. He says he'd offer him a match, but Stones is a gentleman's game. Shots fired. Especially given that Lan was was supposed to be a king. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I'm wondering if Loghain is is at all aware of that because I think he just sees Lan as your your hired muscle. Yeah. Not realizing, oh, you're also a greater noble than I am. You know, pinky up type person. No, he doesn't. <laughs> and if he does, he's like, oh, that's even worse because you know, you uh, you married down. And uh, Lan offers him a key to to release in exchange for some info about Moraine, to which uh, Loghain says, ah, go get bent. And so Lan, Lan does the classic uh, buying a used car move and just gets up to leave. And uh, that's when Loghain says, oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Um, yeah, I, I did actually see some, some male weaves around her. It was thousands of them, like, tied in a knot. The fact that Lan can come up with this line of thinking is just impressive and shows shows a lot about Lan and his knowledge of the world in general. I mean, this man has been paying attention. I mean, and it makes sense. Like, you're following Moraine around for decades. Of course, you're going to learn a little something, something. Like, he grew up in the seat of power, so... Even though he was very young, he clearly remembers, like, or and or someone made sure to keep up, like, his education befitting a prince. There's nothing to suggest that he doesn't have his own interests and, you know, studies accordingly. So it makes sense to me that he'd be able to play the game like he's a blue himself. Why, why not? 
And uh, then we get back outside the, the city gates again, and we see Lanfear walking up to the city gates and, and giving a good solid knock. Hey, let me in. She is funny. She's so exasperated with the current age. She's like, 3,000 years, I'm back to this. No flying cars. (laughs) (laughs) Setting wooden shit on fire. (laughs) Uh, So then we are going back to Tomon Head, and uh, it seems the maidens are all friendly again. And Perrin is kind of confused. And Offy says, well, I, I paid my toe. I had to pay my toe. That's when Perrin says, oh, like you said that you have, you owe toe to me. And she's like, yeah, but it's not cool to point out my toe. That's, that's, that gives you toe. Now we both have toe. And they talk about GE toe for a second. And that's when Perrin says, okay, so toe, that's like obligation. And uh, I'll go on and, and fill the rest of this out for you. G is honor. It's like honor and obligation. You can be full of G, which means you are an honorable person. You have done honorable things. Or you can be full of toe, which means you have obligations to people because you have wronged them. Only you can know the weight of your toe and you cannot apply your own G, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Avi explains that I was defending myself and I saw that my friend was going to take a sword to the back and I defended myself instead of defending her. And that is why I have Toe, because she died because I was more concerned about myself than about my spear sister. They seem to be a society with a lot of formal, very strict rules around battle. Like the whole thing about having to be veiled before you go into battle. Um, the, the whole idea of Toe and G and all that stuff. It's very, very strict. But they have the opposite attitude towards sex. <laughs> like it's it's very much the reverse of you know what is considered a priority to be very strictly regulated in in Westland society. Yeah, what it occurred to me, I was like, oh, this is probably why, like one of the many reasons why, but a big one, why other cultures in this world sees them as so barbaric. Uh, or like one because their ethics their ethical system is opaque to outsiders. Um, And two, because in a lot of, like for most people, it's the other way around where sex is very like regulated and restricted and has lots of rules, you know, but battle, like it's very, you know, very straightforward. They talk wetlander marriage for a moment, and and she says, "Oh, I, that ring means that you're owned by a wetlander woman, does it not?" Owned was such a <laughs> such a <laughs> intentional word. I'm now very interested to see what the f- familial relationships are with the Aiel. And and he says, "Yeah, I mean, kind of in a, in a way." She says, "Oh well, Bane is going to be sad that you're not available. Chiad won't care, but Bane's going to be sad." I was like, oh, what kind of not care are we talking about? Not care she's going to go for it anyway or not care because she's not interested? <laughs> and uh, as they're walking along, they get to the ocean and they, they can see across a, a, a bay, they can see the city of Falm. And you can see just the absolute shock on all of the maidens' faces. Just how is there so much water? How is this even possible? Oh, like the water itself, because I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, trudging in desert and then stumbling upon water does seem awfully dramatic, of like, as a contrast. Little do they know it's not usable water. 
Oh God, no, at all. <laughs> so I I went with some friends uh, across um, on a ferry that crosses one of the Great Lakes, it's Lake Superior maybe, um, to Manitoulin Island, and these people were from England, and they're like, "How is it possible to have be in the middle of a lake and not be able to see the sides?" Like lakes don't work that way. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah, they would because you can be like in Dover and see France on like a good day. <laughs> so I guess yeah, <laughs> is totally foreign. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of water in one place can be surprising if you're not used to it. And then we're back in Falm, and we see Nynaeve and Elaine corner a Sildam. She says, "Oh, hey, you like my my new bracelet?" And the Sildam looks at it in shock, and then. She puts the collar on the Sildam. Yeah, that earned a roll tide for me. And Elaine can throw a punch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty wild skill for a princess to have. Get the drop on somebody. Yeah, so I was like, ooh, this is interesting. So does it matter if you have access to the one power for your channel or do these work on anybody? Apparently they work on just anybody. Or maybe there just has to be a channeler on one end or the other. Mm. Either way, Nynaeve's going to learn a lot more about uh, the colors here pretty soon, I think. And then uh, we see Rena in the kennels visiting Egwene, and she seems she seems kind of tender because, you know, Egwene did a good job blowing things up real big. And uh, she talks to her about the Shan Chan purpose, and she says the, the Empress's mandate is to unite the entire world under the light. And that is that is what you are now a part of. I had some thoughts about this. This is very this. similar to the sales pitch she got from the white cloaks. Yeah. I was like, okay, okay. So <laughs> this reminded me of like that thing where it's like you can have 12 leftists in a room and, all, and none of them agree with each other. Yeah. You can have 12 <laughs> leftists in a room and 13 opinions. Yeah. yeah. It's like, um. Mm. So we have <laughs> at least three societies, cultures, states, whatever you want to call them that are like, we're for the light. So we have the white cloaks that we know of, the tower, and then we have these freaks. And <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't understand how any of y'all can defeat the dark, whatever you think the dark is, especially you fuckers, because you have the forsaken in your backyard. Like how you guys are going to defeat them? Like, let's, let's say you decide to ally with each other defeat the dark if you can't even agree on the most basic fundamental principles with each other you know like <laughs> the dark might not be your biggest problem your biggest problem might just be with each other sounds like all the christian churches disagreeing on small dogma points i mean to be fair they're not small <laughs> like you have the white cloaks who want to eliminate channelers and then you have the Sandron who want to enslave them. So like kind of, kind of fundamental, you know, points in the different denominations. <laughs> but no, I see what you're saying. It's like, uh, uh, I don't know. Three-way standoff. My gosh. At least three. Cause we don't know who else is going to show up yet. Do we, will we, will they even notice when the, you know, the last battle starts and they're so busy fighting each other? <laughs> I also really liked the fact that Egwene had taken her hair out of whatever configuration they put her in for the demonstration and was rebraiding it yeah. back to her Two Rivers braid. Yeah. 
She's like, I'm, you are not taking this away from me. Which is something she did not do in the tower. And it was, it was good to see that she had gotten to the point where she could pour the water, but she has not been broken. Yeah, she says, after Rena's all sweet and kind to her, she says, I'm gonna kill the holy living shit out of you, woman. I'm gonna make you dead. <laughs> this is not over. <laughs> Rena took it so personally. Honestly, Rena was creeping me out in this scene because I was like, there's some weirdly sexual undertones that I don't think I like. Actually, I know I don't like them. This is weird. You're acting weird. Stop touching me. <laughs> a, a, a couple people online started like hinting towards Rena Egwene shipping and it, oh no 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 but I, <laughs> that is but not see, cool. I'm not the only one who saw it no no kink shaming but no <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> we're thinking of this like Rena's an overseer like yeah that happened all the time which is why like African American DNA is like on average twelve to fourteen percent white so like it's just it's just, it's gross. I, I was not feeling it at all. I choose to interpret that, that um, Egwene is like a pet. So you can just go in and scratch behind the ears anytime you feel like it. You don't need permission. I like that a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sticking to that. <laughs> I'm going to be nice to you and, and pet you and groom you because you've done well for me today. Oh, you know, it's bad when we're talking about uh, thinking of another person as a pet as the as the, the superior option. option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. So then, going back to Kyrian, uh, we see a servant escorting Barthanus to a cell that he thinks is the cell that Moraine is being held in, and uh, he says she's in there. Yes, yes. So he opens the door and runs in and realizes Moraine isn't there, and that's when Envier comes up behind and locks the door on him. And that's that's when he says, Mother, I know you think what I did was wrong, but do you think that our house raised in status so fast because of your maneuvering? Really? Uh, yes, yes, I do think so, actually. Actually, I did. <laughs> Thought so. <laughs> and maybe it maybe it did because you got caught really easily. I mean you just you just see what she's done with Moraine, the the maneuvering here of understanding what's going on and actually trapping him even though he's supposed to be killing her if this is happening she's uh really good at the game she is she's amazing and this is a real slap in the face from barthanis that that you have worked so hard you have put your life into recovering this family's honor and i took the fast way. I went and sold my soul to the devil. <laughs> so, like, that just fucked the family's honor and threw everything she did into the shitter. Like, it was unimportant. And interestingly enough, like, how much does pointing out a dark friend in your midst mean to the queen? The queen's daughter was about to marry a dark friend. The queen herself was about yeah. to marry The queen herself was about to marry a dark friend, and now that's been, you know, fixed. I think that's worth just as much to the Damodred family as marrying, or close to it anyway, because now you've earned the Queen's trust. I have a hard time thinking of this as a strategic move, though. It's more like, and she, she says, like, the one thing my sister knows better than anything is the difference between right and wrong, and how hard it is to do the right thing. She is giving up her son because it's the right thing to do, and, like, even just the expression on her face, this, I think... Maybe for the first time she realizes why Moraine has made some of the choices that hurt her family so much. 
you are doing something incredibly painful because you have to. I was really proud of Anvir here. Like, oh, yeah. Just on a meta level, the way moms of sons like enable so much of their son's bad behavior, like like that saying, like you raise a daughter, but you love a son. And like, oh gosh, like there's so much, there's so many conversations like on social media and among feminists and just like just intra community, like among POC and black people specifically, where it's like the reason why like the standard of men has regressed so low and so quickly is because people aren't raising boys like you coddle them you enable them you just kind of let them get away with things because oh boys are easy to raise or you know like emotional incest where like you're treating your son as a stand-in for the male partner or the and or the father that you wanted and Anvir does not do that like she just she's like you fucked up. You're a danger to yourself. You're a danger to this family. You're a danger to this world. I'm not letting you get away with this. This this hurts me more than it hurts you. Um, and turns him in. Like she could have absolutely been like, "That's my baby, and I don't care." And 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 most people would have understood that choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just realized that uh, part of Anvier in this scene, as we were saying, she she finally kind of starts to understand Moraine a little better. I think realizing that, oh, and Aes Sedai, who is part of the Black Aja, just came into my house and and wanted to murder both Moraine and myself. That's the point where she realizes, oh, that's why Moraine has been so distant. It is to protect us. Yeah. If 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 people thought that we were still a part of her life, they would come after us. And it was just so casual the way Leandrin said it. Oh, by the yeah. way, get you know, get rid of your mama too, huh? Yeah. So- like, yeah, it hurts that Moraine has all but cut off ties with her family. But one, we at least from Moraine's side, we know that's not true. Like, that was not done lightly. It was not done willingly. Um, and yeah, this is one hell of a way to find out that your sister does, in fact, love you and has been thinking of you, like, this whole time. Yeah. She's a great character. I like her. I just love sisters. I hope this isn't the last we see of Anvir. I, I hope she becomes becomes the uh, behind the scenes spy because she's the, definitely the best spy we've seen in this whole series so far. I think, and that's that's my ensemble answer from uh, last week. By the way, Hona <laughs> and her butler on and the road Vera being as spies. James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, and then our next scene, we have we have Varen coming in and talking to Liana, and she says the. Amarlin requires your strength to protect Kyrian. I've been told to watch the boy. This is an order, Liana Sedai. And Liana lets Varen take over the shield and, and leaves to go find the Amarlin. And Moraine says, you're very clever with your words, sister. And if you think about it, the way she said that, there is no untrue word there. Just Liana made assumptions. The Amarlin requires your strength to protect Kyrian. I mean, yeah. Every, every it's land is, is really required right now to help protect i've been told to watch the boy didn't say by the amerlin <laughs> this is an order liana said i not an order from the amerlin it's just an order that i'm saying 
that's when uh, Varen, as soon as Leon is gone, drops the shield on Rand, and we find out Varen's part of the part of the gang. She's she's knows what needs to be done. I know that I noticed that Rand was allowed to keep his sword when he was in jail. They didn't take his weapons away. I guess they figured he couldn't do much with it anyway. I mean, it looked to me like he wasn't just shielded. He was also being bound by air mm. um, because he was down on his knees with his arms at his side. And, and I don't think anyone would stay in that position for a long period of time unless they were forced to. Yeah. Yeah. That's when Varence tells them, uh, yeah, there's a way gate in the middle of Kyrian. These disgusting Kyrenians just paved over the Ogier Grove and, and built right up to the gate. So there is a, a way out. Then we see uh, the Amerlin up on the main city gates looking out with eight other Aes Sedai, and they link and make a big storm to put out the fires in the foregate. And oh my God, that was such a cool effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, they're, they're finally really getting into showing the channeling and, and the way the weaves work, and, and I love it. it. Watching that storm form was just amazing. And Liana shows up and says, uh, mother, I'm here. You called for me. And oh, boy. <laughs> I was like, oh, so embarrassing. Like, <laughs> yeah. So then we jump over to the way gate. Uh, Lan, Rand and Moraine have found the way gate. Lan tells Rand to look at Moraine, but do it while you're holding the power. Look at her really close. You can, you should be able to see a shield. And Rand says, yes, I see it. I, I see the weave there. And Lan says, okay, well, you need to use your power to destroy that shield. So let's play William Tell right now. What do you say? Could have gone very badly. Yeah, that was like pulling me out of like biology 101 for non-majors and being like, Samaria, suit up. <laughs> We're going into <laughs> surgery. <laughs> 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 Luckily no for face. Moraine, it's a win-win situation, right? She gets that uh, death knell or she gets her power back, so. I question their timing, though. I mean, they're <laughs> in a rush to get the hell out of Dodge. And it's like, now is the time to cut the knot. They could have at least tried to open it with yeah. Rand's he, power. He explained why, though, because it does require a very specific and very complex weave to open that gate that Moraine knows, but... That's fair. Even if she could try to tell Rand how that weave works, the way male and female weaving work are completely different. So each She wouldn't be able to see if he was doing it right. Yeah, she, she'd be teaching a fish to climb trees, and it yeah. just wouldn't work. I mean, would think yeah. they would have one of those leafs in the tower library and the Browns could have gotten their hands on it at this point. Uh, this maybe. would all not be an, a non-issue. But Yeah. Rand does, in fact, slice away that shield and Moraine, the look of relief and wonder on her face when she can feel the source again. And, and she turns and says, thank you both, because she realizes she has been really stupid these last six months pushing them away and and yet they still helped her yeah moraine <laughs> see how, she had to learn trust the hard way like you know possibly dying at the hands of this of this freshman student or she could have she could have done this the easy way which is be nice to lon and you know, talk to Swan. Bring him in. Yeah. <laughs> I get, I get, I get a little bit of smug off land oh, yeah. <laughs> during this conversation. A <laughs> Told ya. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's definitely going. You see how much I love you, and it's how you act. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want to bring up um, a a common joke in in the fandom, which is if these people would just fucking communicate, the books would have been about 300 pages long. The end. (laughs) I I will buy that. (laughs) I am a subscriber to this theory. (laughs) Moraine then turns around and uses the power to open the way gate. And that's when Swan shows up. She shields Rand and smacks Lan around and she tells Moraine, you failed. You you failed in what we were trying to do and we need to do it my way now. I have a, a moment of silence for everyone's love of Swan at this point. Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember when we speak from the eye? Not the... <laughs> but I was incredibly disappointed. I was like, damn, you guys are going to spend the big bucks in marriage counseling. Good luck with that. <laughs> to, be, to be fair to Swan, she believes she's doing the right thing. She believes that like you cannot have this incredibly powerful channeler running around unguarded and unprotected and, and untrained. She's now seeing Moraine channel and thinking that Moraine lied to her. She's doing what she believes is right. And like, as we have seen over and over again, like people doing what they believe is the right thing to do at the sacrifice of those they love is like Moraine's been doing it. You know, Rand did it. <laughs> They're all doing it. This is her doing the same thing. She believes the right thing is to bring the the dragon to the tower and she will sacrifice her relationship with Moraine to make it happen. Because it will save the world. What a tragedy for their relationship. But Moraine finally realizes how stupid she's been for pushing people away for the last six months. And all of a sudden, Sawan has to start being the one to push away. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me this tweet that I saw the other day, which is like, my girl is never wrong. And if she's ever wrong, then I will change reality so that what she said is right. (laughs) <laughs> and that was, and that, uh, this whole scene reminded me of that tweet i'm just like okay there there's a way to fix this like i i'm in denial that this is the end it shall not be um this the the forcing of her through the oath really felt like a physical violation though like how do you come back from that oh yeah oh god that was awful i was like ooh, swan don't don't do that I don't know. If, I don't know how easy that's going to be to come back from. <laughs> well, it's definitely drawing up parallels with uh, the Suldam and Damani. Oh yeah, and and we saw how that how the oath rod really does work. It it enforces those oaths. Like when when uh, Swan ordered Moraine to do that, Moraine kind of turned into a zombie. You could tell she did not want to be doing what she was doing, but her body was doing it anyway. And yeah, that's just, Oh, I think that more than anything is what probably broke them. I, I feel like we just saw a, a very messy divorce. Yeah. No, it's just a separation. A trial separation. (laughs) (laughs) I personally hope that, that they, I'm with you, Samaria. I, Oh yeah. I want them to be together. All all of it. This I want them like both the to be the fishwife. Last major relationship that had to be broken apart that they've created from the first season. Yeah. It it 
it very much is played as a divorce too. Like you see the flashback scenes to the two of them in the tower yeah. from 20 years ago when Moraine's looking at her with tears in her eyes and then finally turns and walks away. Like this is the last 15 minutes of good omens all over again. I'm really <laughs> mad about that. <laughs> that might've been worse because at least here, Moraine and Swan are still working toward the same end. They're just coming at it from diametrically opposed positions and paths. So there is a way to salvage at least a friendship or like some affection between the two. Mm, but I think it'll get it has to get worse before it gets better. And I think that's for both of them individually as well as them as a pair. Right after Moraine is forced to close the gate, we see Lanfear shows up and Swan turns around and tries to get stabby. The, the really cool halo. Is that, is yeah, that her only that. move? Like, <laughs> It's a good move. Maybe it's, maybe it's her reflex. Like she could be more creative, but that's the one that she that's her go to when she's like in immediate danger and hasn't can't think. And uh, Lanfear just smacks her down without, you know, barely a wave of her hand. You're not even worth my time. Um, and then is ready to go at Moraine. And Rand says, no, if you touch Moraine, then I am not going to help you any longer. If if you want anything from me, you leave her alone. I wondered about that statement. Not if you need my help. It could very easily be assumed that, you know, help is just like doing the things that she, help in doing the things that she's been commanded to by Ishamael you know, help with bring about the last battle. But I also wondered if there's something else she asked of him, like maybe to get out from under Ishamael, he can help her. Especially given that her motives in this whole thing are very, they are not necessarily end the world. They are to get loose there and back. I, I keep thinking she has a redemption arc here and, and this is all part of it. Boo. I was going to say, we, we never saw what her demands of him were he woke yeah. up and told moraine she said i have to get away from you that was that was part of her her demands and but we didn't see what all what her demands all were yeah and now we find out that that it was actually like the next time i see you two together i will kill her not even necessarily you know you're not my it, my my rule is that you're not allowed to hang out with moraine it's like no i will fuck her up <laughs> like, uh, and it, it runs through my mind that she feels very trapped in this setup that she doesn't she doesn't like the condition that she's in and she's manipulating as much as she can but then also when she gets reminded about her oaths to the dark or whatever that's when she kind of has to fall back in line but only because she has to i don't know that i want a redemption arc for land fear she's kind of an asshole <laughs> like just, yeah like i think it's actually more fun to keep her exactly where she is no wonder Lou's dumped her she like feels absolutely no compunction about blowing people up if they're in her way like she's you know not a nice person oh well, she's not i likened it to darth vader that a lot of what vader does during his redemption arc is very 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 evil and in along the same lines with almost no thought to it. She's she's almost like one of those characters where the only way she can be redeemed is to sacrifice herself for somebody else. Like Sure, yeah. Like Vader. Like like yeah. Vader, yeah. yeah. 
when when Rand stands up to her and says, no, you won't kill her if you still want my help, that's when she says, oh, now you're starting to sound like Luz Theron again. She likes it. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, Lon Fear, like, I'm like, do you know this is Rand? <laughs> I don't think she does. I don't think she does either. But she doesn't see it that way. And if you lived that long and, and you actually were across ages, you probably wouldn't see it that way either. You would lose sight of what's what. She gives this little wiggle. She likes it. <laughs> this is like no, foreplay. <laughs> and so she then turns around and opens the way gate and she and Rand and Moraine and, and Lan all go into the way gate and Swan watches them go with, with tears in her eyes. And, and we, we just feel heartbreak. I can't imagine what Swan thinks of this. It's not just like, oh, Moraine has a different plan and we completely disagree on which way to go with this and how to act. She sees Moraine with a forsaken and that there's like some sort of relationship between the three of them. Like, I can't imagine like the betrayal Swan feels right now. Yeah. Like, because yeah. I feel like it, it, if it was just Moraine taking Rand and spiriting away, it'd be like, oh, okay, we can come back from this. But when you see when you see her with a Forsaken and the dragon, it's like, oh, shit. What the hell is, like, I, is she gone? Is she gone? Is she, is she a she dark friend now? Dark like, side. have I been in leagues oh. with some with a dark friend this whole time? Oh, my gosh, it's the love of my life. I dark... didn't even think of oh, that. Yeah. I did. Oh. That, that struck me, too, is... She's walking into that way gate, not as a prisoner. All four yeah. of them kind of go in there as a crew, as as a a team per se. There's no there's no there's prisoner no relationship there that. for Lan and Moraine. <laughs> they are a part of that traveling party. Like, oh, I don't man. even know how you can begin to explain this to Swan, where she will give the benefit of the doubt and be like, "Yeah, okay, I believe you, sweetie. All is forgiven." <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It also shows that Moraine has a lot of trust in Rand now. Like Rand, Rand trusts in her too, and we mentioned that. But Moraine trusts pretty heavily in Rand at this point because, I mean, she may not have a choice, but that's still Lanfear. I would say Moraine is very pragmatic, and she knows that Rand needs to go to Falm. That's where the prophecies say he will be announced, and he needs to get to Falm now because things are starting to come together and the only way she knows of to get to foam that quickly is through the way gates. And well, if land is going along with them, what's she going to be able to do? You know, she already saw land just handle Swan with, with just a flick of a wrist. Yeah. yeah. I suppose there's that is there's just no way she's going to be able to overpower her. So might as well. Any more thoughts about this episode? It's a hell of a cliffhanger. And now, all of the Two Rivers crew is going to be in Falm for episode, the final episode. They're all together again. Most fucked up family reunion ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think we can call this one an episode. We want to say thank you as always to Michael and Jen out of the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thanks, Michael. Thank and you, Jen. Michael and Jen. And if you want to interact with us, you can do that on all of the social medias at what watch party, or you can join our discord. The links are in the show description. Uh, you can also find us at what, what watch party.wordpress.com. 
Also remember to check out all of our other Watch Party Network shows. We've got uh, Watch Party Lord of the Rings, Watch Party Vice and Fire, and Watch Party Gaiman. And final question for the panel. What topics of conversation are going to happen in the ways as our party travels to Falm? Sports. (laughs) (laughs) So you have Land Fear on one side, Moraine on the other side, Rand and Lan in the middle, keeping them apart, and they're like... Greg and Samaria talking about sports, their favorite sports teams. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Lan, Lan and Rand are learning sword forms, and uh, Lanfear and Moraine bond over how much they hate the men doing sword forms, and they're totally bored of it. <laughs> <laughs> the only safe topic. Um, they are playing truth or dare. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm getting middle school sleepover vibes, and <laughs> the host invited, like, friends that don't like each other at all, but they're both friends with the same person. Truth or dare. It's, it's, Truth or dare with the last night could be fun. I like it. I, I can see them all sitting around the campfire telling scary stories, and then it gets to be Lanfear's turn, and everybody's like, nope, nope, it's okay. All their scary <laughs> stories are true. <laughs> <laughs>